from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. Though it is officially summer, right? Yay, summer. Vacations and everything. I want to go back one season. I want to go back to spring. What do you think of when you think of spring, right? We think of flowers, and we think of rain, and we think of spring cleaning, right? How, how many of y'all are called up on your spring cleaning? Anybody called up? Anybody? Bear, of course, Barry would be called up. I'm, uh, Barry, I've got a list uh, I've been working on for a couple of years, if you want to uh, come, come help me. I, I'm two years behind on my spring cleaning list. We're, we'll eventually get around to it, right? But you go through your house and, and you, you clean it. And anybody else, as you're cleaning your house and getting ready, go, how did dust get there? <laughs> I mean, you, you find dust and stuff and you go, I don't even understand how that got there. Or you're cleaning something going, I, I don't even, it just, you just want to cleanse it. You want to make it clean. You want to make it look good, right? You want to make everything shiny and, and spotless. There's something about Walton your house to be clean. And I bring that up this morning because as we go to John chapter 2, we're going to be talking about cleansing. We're going to be talking about cleaning. Specifically, we're going to be talking about Jesus going to clean the temple. But the reason he is cleaning the temple is very different. He's not going to clean it because it is dusty. He's not going to clean it to put something that was mislaid back in place. And in fact, the, him cleaning the temple and the challenge that comes from the authorities on why he is cleaning the temple leads us to a deeper understanding of who Jesus is. A deeper understanding of what his mission was. So this morning, let's read John chapter 2, verse 13 down to verse 25 says, the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and we will and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed in the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man." This morning, as we go through this passage of Scripture, if you downloaded the study guide, you, you will see I made a small correction from 
I think it went from the outline to notes with just an overarching theme that's going to guide our study this morning. And the overarching theme is Jesus is the temple. That, that's, that's where we're going to. And to get there, John takes us from Cana, then he goes to Capernaum, and then Jesus leaves Capernaum and goes up to Jerusalem. Probably about 80 or 90 miles, three to five day walk. And Jesus and his disciples are going there because it is the Passover. It is the Passover meal. It is one of the meals that all the Jews were commanded to be in God's presence. You go back to Deuteronomy 16.6. He says, three times a year, all your males shall appear before Yahweh, your God, at the place that he will choose. And then he lists, and the first one he lists is at the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Now, what you need to know is the Passover is a meal. Remember that. The Passover is not a week-long festival. The Passover is a meal. And the Passover meal occurred the night before the Feast of the Unleavened Bread begun, or began. Excuse me. And so the Jews would be there in Jerusalem. They would celebrate the Passover, and then they would celebrate the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. But over time, as you usually do, you'll contract things. And so to say the Passover then would incorporate the Feast of the Unleavened Bread is why everybody would be there. And Jesus, being a good Jew, with his disciples being a good Jew, would go to the temple to be there, would go to Jerusalem because it is time. It, it's, it's Passover. It is that commemorative meal, right? And you, we, we can't escape this because we need to remind ourselves what the Passover is. Many of you know, but as a reminder, the Jews were enslaved in Egypt. And Moses is, is saying, you know, God, deliver your people. And God says, okay, I'm going to deliver you, but I'm going to do it through a very different way, Moses. I'm not just going to come down and, and take you out. You're going to have to be obedient to me in what I command you to do, Moses. You are going to have to follow me, and the Jews are going to have to follow me and follow my instructions. Here are the instructions. Take a lamb and slaughter it. Take the blood from the lamb and put it on the door jams of your house. And when the angel of death comes through that night, and he's going to come through, and he's going to kill every firstborn child, if he sees the blood, he is going to pass over the house. And everybody who is in that house will be spared. And in those instructions, God told the Jews, said, look, this is a memorial feast. You continue to do this. Every year, you observe this feast. Because it was when I delivered you out of the bondage of Egypt. And the Jews would do that. They had to. They had to obey the law. They had to fulfill the requirements of the law. And so they would do this. And Jesus and his disciples are going now to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Now, this is something that I will tell you that's important that we're going to come back around to. But you need to know part of the problem, not part of the problem, part of the process for Passover was a scrupulously cleaning of the house. Okay? Again, why I mentioned spring cleaning. You had to go through the house and you had to clean it. And part of that was you had to get rid of every bit of leaven in your house. 
When you hear leaven, you need to think yeast, something that, that, that will leaven bread, that will make bread rise. So if you had yeast in there, you had to get rid of it. If you had bread that had been made with the yeast, you had to get rid of it. Anything that had leaven in it, you had to get rid of it. If you want to see what a task this would be today, go home and, and look through your cabinets and look at how much stuff you would have to get rid of. And the reason you had to do that, again, had to do with the Passover meal. They were going, had to be prepared to leave in such a rush that they wouldn't have time to make bread that would rise, right? You make bread, you put the yeast in, you've got to set it all to the side, you've got to let it rise. You take the bowl, you punch it down, then you've got to let it rise again. Depending on what type of bread you're making, you let it rise at least two times, maybe more. They didn't have time for that. The bread that they were going to eat would basically be a cracker. So as a memorial, as part of the remembering the Passover, they had to get rid of the house, or excuse me, the leaven in the house. It had to be thoroughly clean. Hold on to that thought. Jesus and his disciples arrive, it tells us, in Jerusalem. He gets there, and as he went up, to Jerusalem, again, like every good Jew would do, he goes to the temple. You need to go to the temple to make the appropriate sacrifices, to be there to worship. Again, being obedient to the commands of the Jews. And we're told that as he enters the temple, that he finds those who are selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. It's Passover. Feast of the Unleavened Bread is coming up. There's going to be sacrifices that need to be made. And to make the sacrifice, you're going to need an animal. It is difficult enough to travel with your family when you're walking or maybe riding a donkey, except in the Christmas story. Um, just every time, I'll just keep bringing that up. It is difficult enough to travel when you're walking over this terrain. You don't want to have to take a sheep with you. You don't have to deal with that, right? When we were moving back down from Maine, I guess this was Atlanta's bright idea because surely I wouldn't have come up with this. We had a golden retriever. His name was Misha, and it's confused everybody because it sounds like a girl, but he was a boy. Because in Russia, the bear was named Misha, and he looked like the bear from Russia, so we named him Misha. We had a great idea. Let's travel at night with him in the back, because he'll sleep and the kids will sleep. And it was just, it was miserable. Every toll, he hates toll booth. He, he, he did not like toll workers one bit. And, and it, just, it, just, it just made it harder, right? Because we're, oh, good, the kids are asleep, toll booth. And he's like, great, kids are awake now. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. What are we going to do with awake kids who are hungry and a dog that's working? It, it, it wasn't the smartest thing. But it made me realize how difficult it is to travel with an animal. It's not easy. Well, it wouldn't be easy for the Jews coming to Jerusalem. So what happened? All right, they've got to have the animals. So let's have animals here that they can buy. There's nothing wrong with that. They would get to Jerusalem. They would go. They would buy the animal needed for the sacrifice. Also, there were money changers. They had to pay a temple tax. If you were a 20-year-old male or, or older, you had to pay a yearly temple tax. Well, again, think about how difficult it would be. 
if people from all over Jerusalem and, and, and other countries come in with different currency? Well, the, the authorities in the temple said, you need to pay with a consistent coinage. Well, how am I going to do that? Somebody needs to exchange the money. So there were people doing that. Now, the problem here is where they're located. Okay? Jesus says he comes into the temple. When he came into the temple, the first part of the temple he would come into would be the, the court of the Gentiles. And this is where they are. They are set up not down the road. They're not set up at a central location within the city. They are set up within the temple. Okay. Let's think about it this way. What if, right back here in our vestibule, we set up, uh, you, you, you have to have a certain Bible to, to read, to, to, to be here to worship, and you've got to buy it from us. And, and we set it up in the vegetable so that everybody that's coming in has to pass through that. And not only that, because we're going to be here all day and people are going to come in and out, it stays there every time. So if you're coming to worship at any point in time, you've got to walk through a couple people back there selling a Bible or selling something that is required to come in here to worship. Can you, can you imagine how distracting that would be? Right? I mean, it, 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 would be, it would be horrible because sound travels. Noise travels. It's going to be chaos. It's, it's going to be confusing. It's just it's going to be horrible. Right? And, and I don't care how godly you are, it's difficult to focus. Right? A couple of times when Alana and I were in, in, in on, you know, when we were in Romania and we were out in the villages, there were literal animals. The, the rooster always crows at the wrong time. <laughs> right? The wind shifts and you smell the sheep. <laughs> I don't know if y'all have ever been around sheep. Sheep stink. They do not smell good. And it doesn't matter how focused you are on the things of God. I'm right with the pastor. Every time. Every single time. And so here they are in the court of Gentiles where people have come to worship. Now, now think about this again. Th this is kind of amazing. The Gentiles are coming to worship, but that is as far as they could go. They couldn't go through the next door. Depending on if you're a male or a female, you got closer and closer to the Holy of Holies where God's presence resided. But as a Gentile, that was the only court you could go to. And you arrive and you see God's chosen people in the one place designated for you to worship because you have come to realize that although you may be a Canaanite or you may be a Philistine or you may be another people in the area, you have come to realize and understand that Yahweh is the one true God and you have gone to worship Him and you show up and you see God's chosen people there, 
selling stuff, changing money, and the only place that you could worship. What, what, what does that, what's that, what's that going to do to you? What does that say? Here, I'll put it in, in 2022 parlance for you. Well, you're not acting like a Christian, right? Well, it, it doesn't seem like what you're telling me is all that important to you because you're telling me that I should pray or I should be at church or I should read my Bible or I should exhibit love, I should exhibit joy, I should exhibit peace, but I, I don't see it in your life. So I, I want to believe, but what you're doing doesn't lead me to worship or to believe. What the Jews, what God's chosen people are doing in that court is leading those around them to not believe. At the same time, at the same time, it's Passover. They just cleaned their houses, right? And I guarantee you that those sitting up in the temple to sell the animals and to exchange the money, their houses were clean according to the law. But you know what they didn't mind the filing? They didn't mind the filing God's house. God's house was not clean. By their very actions, they are defiling the temple. And it doesn't bother them. They don't care. They continue business as usual. And at, at this point, the story takes a very dramatic turn, right? It says, verse 15, "...and making a whip of cords." He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables and he sold the, those who sold the pigeons. Take them away. Get, you're making my father's house a house of trade. Get out. And he cleans the temple. Now, now just a, a quick aside because we, we do need to address this. We are in John chapter 2 at the beginning of Jesus' ministry and he cleans the temple. Easter, we walk through the Easter story through the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 21, we address Jesus cleaning the temple at the end of his ministry. The question then is, which is it? Is it at the beginning? Is it at the end? Now, you can dive in and you can go read all the arguments. I'm going to tell you what I believe. It's two. I think there are two cleansings of the temple. And the reason I think that is, first of all, nothing in John 1 through 5 is in any of the other Gospels. Everything in John 1 through 5 is unique. Secondly, when Jesus cleans the temple in the end of Matthew and Mark, it, that is the last straw that leads to his arrest and betrayal. Some people will argue that John, for theological reasons, put the cleaning here. I don't agree with that. Okay? That's just an aside because maybe you're wondering. So I think this is the first cleaning where he inaugurates his very public ministry and then there's a second cleaning at the end of his ministry that is the one that just finally kicks over with the Jewish authorities. So Jesus seeing what is going on in the temple doesn't, doesn't leave, right? He goes in and, and he confronts them and he makes a whip. 
and drives them out. Now, I know, I know this, this probably upsets people to think Jesus has gotten angry. But Jesus, in his righteous anger, sees what they have done to the temple, and they drive, he drives them out. He makes a whip. You don't make a whip if you don't use the whip. Right? I don't think Jesus sat there and, and, and took the whip. And, and don't think Indiana Jones whip, okay? This is an Indiana Jones whip. But a whip that he could tap the donkey on the side to get the donkey to go tap the money changer on the bottom to get the money changer to go. Okay, it, it doesn't say he encourages them, right? It says he drove them out. They left going, I don't know if he's going to beat me with that or not, but I'm getting out of the way. I am leaving. And they do. He drives them out. Now, again, this is a, a vastly different Jesus than the meek and mild Jesus that we know of, right? Jesus says, and it's true, right? He, he says, come to me, I, I, I'm, I'm lowly in spirit. Come to me, I, I, will, I will carry your burdens. But we need to make sure that, that we don't take that and then turn Jesus into a weak, indulgent Savior who does not confront people in their sins. Right? That's not who Jesus is. He will confront people in their sins. He will look at them and say, go and sin no more. Rise, get up. Your sin has been forgiven. Jesus is very clear that when there is a sin that is taking place, he is going to confront the people. And here Jesus confronts his people in the temple who are sinning and defiling and profaning God and drives them out of the temple. And while, yes, the whip probably helped, it was the moral authority and his blazing righteous anger that clears the temple. And when he does that, it tells us that later, I think this is later, the disciples remembered, zeal for your house will consume me, that Psalm 69, 9, when, when David is, is writing it. And as David wrote that psalm about the temple, when you look back at David's life, you remember David was zealous for the temple. David is the one who brought back the Ark of the Covenant. David is the one who wanted to build the temple, and God said, no, you're not going to be able to do it. You're a man of war. So David then came up with the blueprints, came up with the money, left all of that for Solomon, for Solomon to build it. David was zealous about the temple, and here Jesus is in the temple, and he is saying, one greater than David is here. Because they are defiling and profaning, he, he dries them out. Their, their worship, what they have turned worship into, is abhorrent to God. And he's not going to let it stand. And as we think about worship, before we move on, let me ask you this question. If Jesus came to worship, of the, worship with us this morning... Would he join us or would he drive us out? H have we come here prepared to worship, prepared our hearts to hear his word, to sing his praises, to pray, to invoke his name? W would he be happy and joyous to worship with the saints at Red Bank this morning? I, I, I pray that he would. You know, worship 
is important to Jesus. And it needs to be important to us as well. And as he drives, or after he drove them out, the Jews said to him, and remember we addressed this, the Jews are the religious leaders who are opposed to him, come to him and say, what sign do you show us for doing these things? I love this. This is, this is funny, okay? I, I know, I find humor in Scripture in weird places. This is funny. Court of the Gentiles, money changers, cows, sheep, pigeons, mess, hay, noise, nothing is out of place. Everything looks normal. All of a sudden, this crazy guy grabs a whip, drives everybody out. It's chaos. Whoa, we need to step in and do something. We can't worship now. Wait, but over here, <laughs> you don't really care. But now, all of a sudden, Jesus is interfering. He, he's, he's messing up their plans. So they, they got to figure out what is going, going on because Guys, the, the, the animals leaving, the money changers running out, tables being turned over, it is going to be a chaotic scene. Right? It's not going to just be, oh, let's go, let me get my donkey. It's going to be, let me catch up with my donkey. But the temple authorities now are going, what, what's going on? Who, who are you? They come and, and, and they ask for a sign. And in asking for a sign, what they're really doing is saying, based on what authority can you do this? You're not a priest. It's not your job to make the sacrifices. What authority do you have? Show us a sign that will prove your authority to do just what you did. Especially since you stated, you know, this is my father's house. Whoa, that's a claim to authority. How can you do that? You know, it, it, this is so interesting. Jesus, we've already seen through John's gospel, has said he's, he's the son of man. He is, John has told us he is, he is God in the flesh. We, we know where his authority is. We've already seen his first sign of turning water into wine, but they want to see another sign. Could you just do another magic trick for us? Can you just do one more thing? Then we'll believe. Right? We, we've heard that with people we know. Well, if Jesus will just do this, then I'll believe. And something happens, and they go, well, if Jesus will, will, will just do this, then I'll believe. If you go to Jesus looking for signs and magic tricks, there will never be enough signs or tricks to prove to you that he is the Son of God. There, 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 there's, there's never enough. Greatest illustration of this. Jesus, disciples, 5,000 men. Not counting women and children. It's in the evening. They're all hungry. Jesus takes the Jewish happy meal of the two fish and the five loaves. He blesses the food. They pass it out. Afterwards, they collect 12 basketfuls. Remember this? All right, everybody fed. We can't go anywhere to eat. There's not a place down, down in the corner that's going to be able to feed, you know, 15, 20,000 people. Jesus takes the bread, blesses it. Everybody eats until they're filled. And, 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 and there's more. If you were sitting on there that day and that happened, would that be a pretty amazing miracle? 
Jumping back to last week, if after Carol's deviled eggs and Marilyn's peach cobbler disappeared, Jesus blessed us with more, that would be a pretty amazing miracle, right? Tells us that after Jesus makes, after he does this miracle, he crosses over to the lake. The next day, the very same crowd who just ate, not less than 12 hours ago, the very same crowd comes over to him and he begins to teach. And he says to them, this is the word of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. This is their answer. What sign do you do that we may see and believe you? I know that he's not, but I'm, I'm thinking how I would react. I would probably be pulling out my hair going, I don't know. How was that meal last night that I prepared for you from, you know, two fish and five loaves? I fed 15,000 people. Do you, do, you, do you think that might have been good enough for you? If all you want is a sign, there, there's never going to be enough signs. There, there never, never will be. So Jesus looks at them and he says, and I think his response is brilliant. Destroy this temple, right? He says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. I think this is brilliant. Because before we get to what John says, what did Jesus just do? He called their bluff, didn't he? He says, you want to see a sign? You destroy this temple and in three days I will build it up. I will raise it back up for you. This is, this is Herod's temple. This is the second temple that's been working on for 46 years. It takes a total of, I think, around 82, 83 years to build. Stands for seven years before it is, or seven years completed before it's destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. Jesus looks at him and says, hey, hey, knock down the temple. I'll call your bluff. I'll, I'll give you a sign. Knock it over. Bulldoze it. Get rid of the place where you meet God. And I'll build it for you in three days. And you can almost, you can almost hear them stammering and stuttering. This is 46 years. 46 years to, to build the temple and you will raise it up in three days? Okay, we thought you were crazy when you drove out the animals. Now we know for sure you are insane. It is only then that John gives us the explanation. Because right? they're not going to tear down the temple. Because that's where they have to be to worship. And, and they're not going to touch it. And so John comes in, adds the explanation, and he elevates it now to a completely different level. But he is talking about his body, the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus has said. So again, just like at the wedding at Cana, Jesus is looking to the end of the ministry to his crucifixion and resurrection, and he is saying to the leaders, and I think twofold, one, actually tear down the temple, and number two, wait, the temple is going to be torn down, and in three days it will rise again. You will see a sign that has never been seen before. You will see me hanging on a cross. You will see me laid in the tomb. Then on the third day, you will see me walk out of the tomb. And three years later, when they arrest him, 
and they put him on trial. And this very phrase is misattributed to him. They're less than three days from seeing the miracle. They're less than three days from seeing the sign that they wanted. And what happened on the third day? Pay off the Roman soldiers. We don't believe and we don't want to let this spread. If you're looking for a sign, <laughs> there's not going to be a sign enough. But we can't stop there. We've got to go just a little bit deeper. Because the temple is God's house and where God meets his people. And he does it through the Old Testament and, and this part of Jesus' ministry through the prescribed sacrifices. They had to go to the temple. They, they had to be in God's house. But who did we learn is God's house from the end of chapter 1? Jesus is talking to Nathaniel, and they go back to that dream of Israel where he is having the dream of the ladder. And he says, this is Bethel. This is the house of God. And Jesus says to Nathaniel, Nathaniel, I, 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 I'm, I'm the house of God. I'm, I'm the house of God. So now in the temple where the Jews are said, this is the house of God where God resides and his presence resides, the literal perfect embodiment, the unique manifestation of the temple of God is standing in the temple of God. And Jesus says, I'm it. I am the temple. And not only is Jesus the temple, we're at Passover. He's also the Lamb. Because year after year, they're going to go and they're going to offer that lamb and then they're going to do it again and they're going to be doing it again. And Jesus looks at them and says, there is coming a time when the true temple of God will be torn down. You will see it. This is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood which is poured out for you. And on that third day, you're going to see the temple of God Raise up and walk again. John is telling us that not only is Jesus the necessary sacrifice to end all sacrifices, but the sacrifice is going to be made in the true temple. It's not going to be made in the temple made by hands. It's not going to be offered by a priesthood with hands. It's going to be made in Jesus Christ, God in the flesh who is the unique embodiment of the temple, who willingly offers himself as the final and ultimate sacrifice. And that final and ultimate sacrifice doesn't take place on the temple in Jerusalem, but takes place on a cross on Calvary's hill. And Jesus is saying, I'm it. I'm it. And when he makes that final sacrifice, you know what he does? He forever ends the temple in Jerusalem as the place for sacrificial offerings. He forever ends the temple in Jerusalem as the only place to meet with God. Which is why we don't make sacrifices 
or have a temple today? Or is it? Therefore, brothers, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do you not know that you are God's temple, that God's spirit dwells in you? For God's temple is holy, and now you are that temple. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.